Uh, morning, everyone. And thank you, Stephen, for leading us this morning. Uh, labels are for bottles, not people. How many of us have heard that slogan? Okay, yeah, it's the, it's the tagline of a recent advert, uh, an advertising campaign by a drinks company, by Smirnoff. And there is a, there's a lot going on, or a lot going on with that advert, but its overarching message is meant to challenge our tendency to judge and define people by the labels that we place on them, the labels that we give to them. And so phrases like, judging a person doesn't define who they are, it defines who you are. Those are the kind of phrases that were associated with that ad. Well, the woman that we're going to look at and think about this morning tends to be given a label. Whenever her, ma- her name is mentioned, a label is often added. It's often tagged on to the end. This is uh, week two. Oh, or not. This is week two of our Advent and Christmas series, Eight Women and a Baby, which is based around the stories of eight women who are intimately kind of connected to or involved in the story of Jesus and his first coming or his first advent, because that's what the word advent means. It means coming. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. And each and every year at this time of year, we celebrate that remarkable reality. But, but Jesus didn't simply appear out of nowhere. Jesus didn't miraculously drop out of heaven. There was certainly something miraculous around his birth. I accept that. But according to the Bible, and I'm quoting Galatians here, but according to the Bible, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. In other words, Jesus came at a perfect moment in history. There was a back story. Jesus has historical roots. Jesus has a family tree, and and we can trace it. And so Jesus is therefore not some fictional made-up character. He was a real person. He had a real family. He came at the right time. And last week, we, uh, we started to read and reflect on his family, on the genealogy of Jesus, which is found at the beginning of Matthew chapter one, which is often a section of scripture that's glossed over. But one of the striking features of Matthew's family tree was the inclusion of women, five in total, which as we stressed last Sunday was highly unusual in that culture and at that time. And so during the month of December, we're gonna consider the stories of these five women that are mentioned in Matthew chapter one, as well as three others who are also connected to the unique baby born on that first Christmas. I am tempted to read the entire genealogy again as I did last week, but I'm just going to reread the first five verses. But we're still going to stand for the public reading of Scripture because all Scripture is God-breathed and all of it is useful, even the apparently dull and difficult bits. So let's stand together as we read. The genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, 
the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amimadab. Amimadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Grab a seat. So Rahab the what? Come on. The harlot. Rahab the prostitute. Isn't that the label that we often or, or always give to this woman? And therefore, the danger is it's the way we define her. It's how we see her. Rahab is the second woman named in the family tree of Jesus. The first was Tamar, and last week we looked at her rather interesting story. But last week I asked how many people have ever watched the BBC program, Who Do You Think You Are? Well, during the past week I discovered another genealogy program which is currently on ITV hosted by Alex Jones, and it's called The Secrets in My Family. How many people have seen it? One or two. We're using pioneering DNA tests. People discover and uncover secrets about their family trees, which often leaves them rather shocked and surprised. Well, there are no secrets in the family tree of Jesus. No secrets. I mean, Matthew has recorded it all for us. We're not left guessing. There's no secrets in the family tree of Jesus. It's all there for us. But there certainly are surprises. And Rahab is another one of them. Or is she? Rahab is actually mentioned three times in the New Testament. I mean, her story is told, it's recalled in the sixth book of the Old Testament. It's in Joshua chapter 2, it's in Joshua chapter 6. But apart from Matthew chapter 1, Rahab is mentioned two more times in the New Testament. Who can tell me where else Rahab is mentioned? Shout it out. Hebrews, yes. So in the faith hall of fame, Hebrews 11, she appears alongside and is one of the great heroes of the Christian faith. Where else is Rahab mentioned? Here's the test. Anyone know? She's mentioned in James chapter 2, where the apostle asks this question. Was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did? Now, in both those cases, Hebrews 11, James chapter 2, Rahab's label is attached. She is referred to as the prostitute, both in Hebrews 11 and James chapter 2, but clearly that label doesn't define her, as we're about to see. So, we're going to track her story and see what we can learn about why she is included in the Christmas story, why she is connected to the Christmas baby, the Savior of the world, the Messiah. So here goes. You sitting comfortably? Here we go. In Joshua chapter 1, and if you want to follow this, feel free to flick over in God's Word to this, but in Joshua chapter 1, we discover that the children of Israel are 72 hours away from entering the land that God had promised to them. And so Joshua, who is their newly appointed leader, he decides to send two spies back 
Now, 12 had already been in comeback, but Joshua decides to send two spies back into the land to carry out a final recce of the place, especially the city of Jericho. And so the two spies go in. And the first thing that we read in Joshua chapter two about the two spies is this, that they enter the house of a prostitute named Rahab and they stay there. Now, according to Joshua chapter one, they were meant to, and I quote, go look over the land. And so why they're staying in someone's house, and especially this someone, is anyone's guess. Maybe they were wanting to look over more than the land. Turns out that Rahab's house was under surveillance. People were watching it. And so CCTV cameras pick up these two, well, um, yeah, and a bit of poetic license, okay, as I tell the story. Pick up these two suspicious Israelites who have entered the prostitute's house. And so word goes back to the king that this has happened. And so the king sends word to Rahab and demands that she gives up the two spies. What's she going to do? And why in all the world would she even consider doing anything other than what the king has ordered her to do? Why? Well, Rahab chooses to lie. She admits that the men were there, but she says they've done a runner, and she tells the king's men that if you go quick enough, you may catch up with them. The fact is, Rahab has hid the two spies in her loft. And it's at this point in the text, in the story, that Rahab comes out with what is one of the most remarkable confessions of Christian faith that is found anywhere in Scripture. But before we, we look at what she says, let's be really clear on who is saying this. Rahab is a pagan. She is an outsider. She is a Canaanite harlot who is living and working in a decadent and corrupt city. Her culture is steeped in idolatry and immorality. There are no positive influences in this place. No positive influences in her life. This is an environment that's a million miles away from God, from godliness, and from God's values. And yet, and yet, in this, the most unlikely of places, and in this, the most unlikely of people, true faith is found. True faith is found. It's stunning. And for us today, there, there are times, maybe most of the time if we're honest, where we look around us at an increasingly godless society where anything goes, in fact, everything goes, and we begin to wonder, what are the chances of people and particularly, what are the chances of those people, that person, ever, ever coming to your finding faith in God? What are the chances? And the minute we go there, and I'll be honest, I often go there. The minute we go there, we need to hear or rehear the story of Rahab, one of the mothers in the family tree of Jesus who in spite of the barriers, in spite of the obstacles, in spite of all the odds that are stacked against her, 
from a human perspective, expresses and demonstrates genuine faith in God. Rahab is another reminder that no one is beyond the reach and grace of God. No one. Rahab's background, her life choices to date may have caused some people to write her off. But God writes nobody off. God writes nobody off. It's amazing. It's outrageous. His grace is life-changing. It's life-altering. God intervenes in the life of a Canaanite hooker and provides hope of a new future, an alternative future, a different future. And what a future it is, as we're about to see, which includes, for this woman, being part of a messianic line. Rahab's past doesn't determine her future. And if you're here this morning and you're holding on to your past, maybe you're feeling defined by your past, even paralyzed by your past, then please know that God's grace can lead you to a personal confession of faith like Rahab's that will result in a renewed future. We must never write anyone off because as I prayed last week in closing, quoting the U2 song, Grace, grace makes beauty out of ugly things. So what did Rahab actually say? What did she articulate in that moment? And what was the outcome of her expression of faith? And for those of you who were around Windsor back in 2009, some of this might sound familiar. So I'm going to read her exact confession of faith. If you have a Bible in front of you, it's not going to be on the screen. It's Joshua chapter 2, and these are verses 9 to 13. This is Rahab speaking. I know, she says, that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And we have heard what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God. He is God in the heavens. He's God on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and you'll give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them. And you will deliver us from death. Rahab's confession of faith is powerful, it's moving, and it can kind of be captured and summarized like this. Rahab heard what God had done and she believed. Rahab's heart was engaged. Rahab recognized who God is and Rahab cried out for mercy. And I kind of just want to break that down very quickly. You see, Rahab didn't actually see. She didn't actually witness what God had done. She'd heard about it. Twice in those verses, Rahab says, we heard. We heard about the Red Sea incident. We heard what you did to those two kings. But not only did she hear, but she believed. 
And in the New Testament, Paul makes it really clear that faith comes from hearing. Romans 10, 7. And in John chapter 20, we read that Jesus tells Thomas, blessed are those who've not seen, and yet they have believed. You know, this is one of the reasons why we must keep telling God's story, including the Christmas story. We must keep sharing the message. We must keep passing it on about the incredible things that God has done, because according to God's word, faith comes from hearing. Rahab heard, and faith grew. But secondly, not only was her mind involved, but her heart was engaged. And so we read that when, this is her speaking, when we heard, again, I heard of all that God has done, what happened? And I love the way the ESV captures this, and that's the version I read out. Our hearts melted. Do you know, Christian faith has got to impact the very core of your being. It's got to challenge and change our thinking and transform our mindset, yes, but it's also got to impact our hearts because why? The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Rahab's cold heart was melted and it was thawed by the reality of God. She heard, she believed, her heart melted. And then thirdly, she recognized who God is. Do you know, people all around Rahab believed in numerous gods. She lived in a polytheistic culture. People worshiped a whole variety of gods. But in the second half of verse 11 of Joshua chapter two, Rahab declares a critical statement of Christian faith. For the Lord, the Lord Yahweh, the Lord your God, he is God. He is God in the heavens above and he is God on the earth Below, you see, true faith discloses an awareness of the one true God. And Rahab had reached that place, and she was now making it known, your God is God. You know, we live in a, a context where many gods compete for our worship. But an authentic faith journey will include a recognition that God, the God of Scripture, the God of the Bible, is God. Is God of heaven? Is God on earth? Rahab's confession of faith reflected a hearing and a believing, a heart engagement, and a recognition of the identity of the one true God. And finally, Rahab asked for mercy. Please, she says, show kindness to my family. Please save us from death. You see, Rahab knew what lay ahead. She heard what Israel's amazing, all-powerful God had done, could do, would do. And therefore, she pleads for mercy. And whenever anyone reaches that point, whenever anyone reaches that place where they realize that without God's intervention, without God's grace, we do face impending danger and death, well, whenever someone reaches that point, they have reached a place of radical transformation. Because as the Bible teaches us, those who cry out to God for mercy will be saved. Rahab, the prostitute, yes. But Rahab, the woman of faith, who not only appears in the family line of Jesus, but also in the Hebrews Faith Hall of Fame and in the Epistle of James. And another key reason why Rahab appears in both those places. And this is really important. 
is because her faith was active. Her faith was active. It wasn't passive. It was revealed. It was proved. It was demonstrated in what she did. Not just in what she believed, but in what she did. In the book of James, the, the apostle spends quite a bit of time talking about the importance of faith being made, and he says, complete. Faith being made complete in what you do. And so he writes, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous? Here's the bit for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. And as those of you who know God's word know that James finishes that little section of teaching by saying what faith without deeds is dead. And therefore, one of the main reasons why Rahab is held up as an example of faith and why she crops up alongside Abraham and Moses and the likes in Hebrew 11 is because her faith contained an active dimension. It was faith with deeds. And so it says she is, and I love that she is considered righteous. Last week, if you were here, you'll remember what, happened, what was said about Tamar. Judah said about Tamar, that you are more righteous than I am. Now, that could mean any number of things. Tamar was more righteous than Judah. And was he righteous? I don't know. But here, Rahab is considered righteous, full stop. Rahab, the woman of faith. We need to finish her story. We need to go back to her house. Spies are in the loft. The king's men are off pursuing them on a wild goose chase. And so Rahab calls the two spies down and she lowers them down the walls of her house via a rope. And she tells them to head for the hills in the opposite direction from which the king's men have gone. But before the spies leave, they make an arrangement. They make an arrangement for her and her family's safety and salvation. Rahab is to tie a scarlet cord in her window so that when the Israelite army come back to take the land, to take possession of the land, to take Jericho, they will see a sign and they will spare this prostitute and her family. The scarlet cord was to act as this visible sign that the occupants of the house were to be spared. It's exactly like the blood on the doorposts in Egypt because whenever the angel of death saw that sign, he passed by and salvation was granted to that house. In Joshua 6, whenever the Israelites march around the perimeter of Jericho seven times and the walls start to crumble and destruction begins, because of a scarlet cord that is hanging in the window of one house, we read this, Joshua, this is Joshua chapter 6, 25. Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her. And if you read on, it then turns out that Rahab, it says, lived among the Israelites. This outsider is now an insider. Lived among the Israelites, according to Joshua 6, 25. But more than that, it says she goes on to have a family. She goes on to have a family that will continue for generations and will eventually include Jesus. Who knew? And so to re-quote Matthew 1, 5, Salmon is the father of Boaz, whose mother is Rahab. Amazing grace that makes space for people 
like Rahab, the second named mother of the Christmas baby. But I can't leave her story there because I've got to make one more massive connection. Jesus, whose line Rahab played an integral part in, Jesus was born to save his people from their sins. Jesus was the savior of the world. He was to be given the name Jesus according to the angel to his stepfather, Joseph. You've got to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. But how he goes on to accomplish that, well, that's part of the bigger story that we need to keep telling. We need to retell every December. We need to tell throughout the year. Because on a cross, 33 years after his birth, Jesus lays down his life in order to rescue people from their sins. And it is through the shedding of his blood, as the Bible teaches us, that we find forgiveness, that we find reconciliation, that we find peace with God. And how does that, how does that become personal to us? Well, in so many ways, it becomes personal to us in the way that was modeled by Rahab. And so, we hear what Jesus has done and we believe. Our hearts are engaged. Our hearts are melted by this incredible act of sacrifice. We recognize that Jesus is Savior and Lord. And we at the cross, kneeling, confessing our sins, recognizing that without that, we face imminent danger. We cry out to God for mercy. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And one day the Bible says Jesus is going to return. There's going to be a second advent. We're, we're celebrating the first advent. There is going to be a second advent, a second coming. And Jesus is going to return to judge the living and the dead. But if like the angel of death in Egypt and the Israelites in Jericho, if Jesus finds a sign of deliverance in our lives, if the cross, if his broken body and shed blood is present in our lives, if we have knelt at that place and said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you then if that sign exists in your life and mine, then like the firstborn in Egypt and the entire household of Rahab, we will know salvation and we will know life forever in the presence of Jesus. And so the cross is our symbol of deliverance. And my prayer is that like the scarlet cord, may it be hanging from the window of your life. Rahab is another fascinating woman in the genealogy of Jesus. A woman of faith, deep faith, profound faith, authentic faith, genuine faith. A woman of faith who reminds us that the grace of God knows no bounds. And that salvation is found in Jesus, the savior of the world, the baby that was born through her line who goes from cradle to cross in order to deliver us. And so may Rahab's appearance in the Messiah's family tree, may Rahab's inclusion in the faith hall of fame, and may Rahab's story impact yours this Christmas. And remember, 
Labels are for bottles, not people. Rahab, the woman of faith. Rahab, the righteous one. Tonight, we're going to look at another woman connected to Jesus. A woman who's not in the family of tree, family tree. A woman who's not Elizabeth. A woman who's not Anna. In fact, it's the woman that most people haven't got yet. So if you want to find out who it is, you need to come back tonight. We're going to stand to close. I would really love to play Stormzy Blinded by Your Grace again, but I'm not going to do that. We're going to stand and sing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. So let's stand together as we close.